I'm Grant. And I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. And, you know, we've done a lot of local stuff lately. And I thought, why don't we broaden our horizons? Okay. Why don't we go farther? Okay. In fact, farther than anything we've covered before. We're, We're broadening our horizons and going intergalactic. Wee you're not joining me. <laughs> bump, bump. Why, why aren't you joining me? Well, because you're going to want to do a, a different TV theme soon, because we're talking about the Roswell UFO incident. I don't know what song they sang for Roswell on the CW <laughs> or the WB. I didn't watch that. I didn't watch Roswell. I don't know either. what their theme song is. I'm sorry. You were thinking X Files, right? A little bit. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Well, they're but ooh, aliens. Yeah, yeah. In the summer of 1947, the universe got a little bit bigger. So, the Roswell UFO crash, the most famous and most researched alien encounter in history. Ooh. ooh. So it starts with this guy named Mac. Brazel. Uh, people called him Mac. He, his name was actually William. How do you get Mac from that? Uh, depends on what kind of truck you drive. Uh, so he worked <laughs> on a ranch. Uh-huh. He's an old-fashioned cowboy, is, is what folks called him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and out riding on his ranch, uh, he found some debris on June 14th, 1947, uh, this spot was about 30 miles outside of Roswell, New Mexico. Then, then where was it actually? Why do they always say Roswell? Because that's the nearest town. We are oh. in the middle of ranch country. So, so it is Roswell. Or yeah. was it like a different name for where, like... If you ask Brazel where, what town he lived in, he'd say Roswell. Okay. But this part of his ranch was 30 miles outside of the town proper. So he, he didn't stop to look at it. But he did talk about it with his family when he got home. Yeah, I found some weird stuff out there. Anyway, back to the grind. Not another day in paradise, right? Yeah. We were in the middle of the UFO wave of 1947. Uh, On June 24th, a private pilot named Kenneth Arnold reported seeing a formation of nine flying saucers. Mm -hmm. And that story made national news. So now Brazel thinks, well, what if that's what I got? Yeah. Maybe. What if? What if? So on the 4th of July, there's a, a Brazel family trip out to this spot uh-huh. to take a look at it. He took his wife, he took his 14-year-old daughter, his 8-year-old son, mm-hmm. uh, to see what all this mess really was. And mm-hmm. the, the information I have here is from an interview he did with local media uh, about a week or two after the, the news broke. Okay. He'd said uh, at that point he didn't see anything fall from the sky or before it was all torn up. So he didn't know what size or shape all this stuff was meant to be in originally. Mm -hmm. Uh, What he found was a bunch of things like uh, metallic foil, some paper, tape, some sticks, uh, some scattered bits of of gray rubber. So someone's trash bag (laughs) that broke open. An alien trash bag. Excuse me. I don't know. This all sounds like stuff I got like in behind me in the apartment here. <laughs> the truth is in here, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. By this point, which we'll get to, uh, the, the government had issued a story saying that, that this wreckage was from a weather balloon test. And so uh, the interviewer asked him, if the balloon held it up, what sort of balloon do you think it'd be? I'm not saying that ranchers aren't experts in weather balloons, but yeah. I th- that's an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, so they were in about a 12-foot wide room, and he's like, yeah, about yay big. So yeah, 12-foot balloon is by his guess. Whatever this all was, judging by the, the amount of stuff he found, uh, Brazel guessed it was about the size of a tabletop, whatever shape it was. Tiny aliens. Tiny aliens. Little baby aliens. <laughs> and all of this stuff was scattered over an area about 200 yards in diameter. 
he, he gathered up a bunch of this stuff into a bundle about 18 to 20 inches long, about five inches around, and figured it's about five pounds of stuff. Okay, some potatoes, cool. He didn't say uh, anything uh, about any metal in the area that looked like an engine, like engine parts or an engine casing, no sorts of propellers at all. <laughs> Uh, although there was at least one paper fin glued onto some of the foil. Are we sure his, like, kid just didn't have, like, a science project due and they, like, fucked it up? Real, real bad. Just 200 yards of debris. Like, maybe they, like, were in the process of making a volcano. Mm-hmm. And, like, little little Timmy's, like, toy zeppelin mm-hmm. fell in. <laughs> and chemical experience. Experiment gone wrong. Oh, the humanity. And then it just exploded everywhere. They, they couldn't find words anywhere on any of this stuff, although there were some letters on some parts. There was a, a good amount of scotch tape and some tape with flowers printed on it used in the construction. Cool, cool. Hippie aliens. Old ahead of their time. Old-timey washi tape, I guess. Yeah. 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 Couldn't find any strings or wire, uh, according to this interview. Uh, but there were some eyelets in the paper, so, like, if there's eyelets, then maybe there was a string and they just couldn't find the string. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the next day, uh, he, he tells Roswell Sheriff George Wilcox, like, on down low, all quiet-like, that he might have found some kind of flying disc. A frisbee. <laughs> well, th- this was before flying saucer was, like, the agreed-upon term. Oh, okay. We're still real early days. Yeah. Uh, as far as u- ufology. Yes. Yes. Now, the, the reason uh, the Brazel gave for, for taking so long to alert authorities is he didn't have a phone at the time. This was just the next time he was in town oh, and ran into the sheriff. Well, by the way, maybe... Uh, I found something weird. Maybe it's one of them flying discs people been talking about. Yeah. Uh, so Wilcox got in touch with the Air Force Base, uh, who then sent out uh, Major Jesse Marcel, uh, who was the uh, intelligence officer on the base. Mm-hmm. He went to Brazel's home to see what's what, and they finished collecting the debris together. And they couldn't put it together in any way that made any kind of sense. Well, no, it's trash. <laughs> it is just a box of trash. And then Marcel took it to the base. So now we're up to July 8th, 1947, Uh and this is when the news breaks out. Uh, The base commander, uh, Colonel William Blanchard, ordered Public Information Officer Lieutenant Walter Hott to draft a press release saying the U.S. Air Force had recovered a crashed flying disc from a ranch. And when uh, your lieutenant and your colonel tells you to do something, you don't ask, oh, oh, what now? Are you sure about this? (laughs) And so the the release was picked up by the media and launched public interest in the incident. Like, this is a very unusual press release to come from a military base. Well, yeah. It went far and wide. Uh, Not just local papers, San Francisco, it made it to New York. Printing something like that in the 40s when you don't really do that is just like being like, hey, we found aliens. (laughs) And again, we're in the middle of uh, a UFO wave, the first great UFO wave in America. Mm -hmm. By then, the debris had already been sent to Fort Worth. And later on, on the 8th, the the commanding general of the 8th Air Force, Roger Ramsey, uh, stationed in Fort Worth, put out a statement that they had recovered remains of a weather balloon Mm -hmm. and the radar target used to track it. Maybe they should have said that first. <laughs> you can check out the show notes, like, because th- this had become such a story, Ramsey even invited media to come and take pictures of, like, this is the sort of weather balloon we're talking about, and this is what uh, a radar target looks like. It's this jagged, angled piece of a metallic foil stretched on sticks. And so it reflects radar really good, and, and we can watch them. And this dude found flowered paper and <laughs> floss. <laughs> they found no floss, but eyelids that suggested there may have been floss. Yeah. Uh, so Brazel said that he had previously found two weather observation balloons out on the ranch, but what he found this time didn't look like either of those. Quote, 
I am sure that what I found was not any weather observation balloon. But if I find anything else besides a bomb, they're going to have a hard time getting me to say anything about it. <laughs> By the time of this statement, Brazel was real fed up about people calling him, asking to talk to, you know, the little green men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, in 1947, the news cycle moved on. Public interest went to the next oddity. There was uh, a little later in the summer, there was a, a pilot who tried to chase uh, a large metallic object and his plane exploded. And now there's a story. Ooh. Are you going to tell me about that? No. What? Except to say that that's really where the story of Roswell in 1947 ends. That's That's all that we can uh, conclusively verify, and that's all that came out in reporting at the time. Okay. But it's far, far from the end of the story of Roswell. Yeah. I was going to say, this is a short this episode. This is not going to be our first 15-minute episode. <laughs> Onto the mail! No, 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 not yet. Uh, Mail's three times as long as the whole episode. <laughs> that, that was last episode. That was last time. In 1978... Uh, a man named Stanton Friedman began the first civilian investigation into the incident. Again, this is 31 years after the fact. Mm-hmm. Well, it's after the seven, late 70s. There's mm-hmm. been a lot of drugs going around. Makes sense. And a few more waves of UFO sightings in between. Uh, Stanton was a professional nuclear physicist with a career that had him working at GE, GM, McDonnell Douglas, other reputable... Uh, companies that would hire nuclear physicists. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he retired in 1970 to pursue UFO investigation full-time. Oh, man. Uh, He'd already testified before Congress that evidence supported his claim that the Earth was visited by extraterrestrials. Uh, He made a name for himself in in the late 60s and early 70s defending the Betty Hill star map. The Hills were a couple that uh, reported... Uh, an abduction case, and their testimony really popularized the image of the gray alien, the big-headed, mm-hmm. short dudes with giant black almond eyes. I see. Th- those are from the Hill accounts, and uh, under hypnosis, Betty Hill drew a, st- a star map that she was shown by the aliens. The, the question is whether that points to where these aliens are from. Ah, Stanton Friedman defended the stance that uh, these are what some stars would look like from the perspective of Zeta Reticuli. Therefore, like, this is supporting evidence that these really were aliens and that they must be from there showing Betty, this is what our neighborhood looks like. Yeah. 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 So he he was a, a fairly big name ufologist in 1978. Looking at this very interesting case of a a crash and wreckage that was recovered. The military even said so. Oh. In that first press release, we recovered a flying disc. His main interview subject was uh, Jesse Marcel, the intelligence officer who collected the stuff as the only person who was there with it from collection to shipping it off to Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. But now, in 1978, his story had some more details. Uh, He claimed there was secret wreckage that was hidden from the press under orders from above. That photo op that General Ramsey put on, that was stage wreckage. I Mm. saw the real wreckage. Oh. So he told stories of uh, this incredibly thin, incredibly strong metal. He always described it as thin as the foil in a pack of cigarettes, but you couldn't break it even with a sledgehammer. Uh, And beams with these purple hieroglyphics. That nobody could uh, uh, decipher. And for a time, Marcel became a celebrity in UFO circles, you know, sharing this incredible story about a a cover-up that came from above and who knows how high it might have gone, right? Mm -hmm. So this reporting was the basis of The Roswell Incident. Uh, That's a book published in 1980 by Charles Berlitz and William Moore. Berlitz and Moore had already written the books that popularized the Bermuda Triangle theory. Ah. Uh, or rather, that was Berlitz alone, but Berlitz and Moore together, uh, the Philadelphia experiment was one of their, was something they brought to light. Mm. This is the story of a naval ship that was involved in a cloaking experiment that some believe uh, actually then traveled in time. 
Oh. Yes. Now, uh, a debunker read uh, Berlitz's Bermuda Triangle book and said, quote, If Berlitz were to report that a boat were red, the chance of it being some other color is almost a certainty. <laughs> Ooh. His research burn. is not always found to be entirely accurate. But uh, the Roswell incident, this book, set forward the main narrative that has been built on since. Aliens were monitoring nuclear tests in uh, the, the American Southwest. Uh-huh when their craft crashed, possibly due to a lightning strike. The real debris was scuttled away, and staged debris was presented in the photographs as part of a cover-up. The military's mixed messages, uh, you know, the morning of the 8th, it's a flying disc, the evening of the 8th, it's a weather balloon, uh, that was a tactic to discredit UFO research. Hmm. Uh, now, Let's confuse them all. Yeah. Uh, other interview subjects include Bill Brazel, who was that eight-year-old boy uh, back when his dad found the wreckage, and Walt Whitman Jr., son of a news reporter, Walt Whitman, not that Walt yeah, Whitman. Yeah, I was going to say, probably uh, not. Uh. Who uh, is one of the people who interviewed uh, Father Brazel back in 1947. Okay. You'll notice that these are not the the people you would want. But then again, it's 31 years later. They're the people you have. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those people are dead. Some of those people are dead. Yeah. And so that became the the dominant Roswell story among UFO circles. But by the 90s, it wasn't quite good enough. (laughs) And new accounts came out with some new dramatic details. Yeah. And these are my favorites. Yeah. Some of this new testimony that Uh came out. Glenn Dennis. Glenn Dennis sort of blew the lid off a lot of stuff. Uh, He claimed in 1989 that alien bodies had been recovered. He's the first person to to make this statement. Uh, He said a friend of his was a nurse working on the Air Force Base who had participated in an autopsy of dead alien bodies. Immediately after she told him and swore him to secrecy, she was transferred to another base overseas and died on the plane crash on the way to her new posting oh they were spying on her researchers trying to check the backstory of of this for validity found no record of such a crash well no they covered it up and he eventually produced a name after a a lot of prodding and begging to like come on we we can't believe you unless we can check this give us a name so uh this nurse was apparently named maria self there is no record of a military nurse by that name. Well, no, they deleted her from existence. Well, Glenn Dennis said, I gave you a name, but I never said it would be a real name. Oh. I have to protect myself and my sources. Oh. Uh, skeptical investigator Carl Flock claims that this is evidence of a hoax. Stanton Friedman called Flock a disinformation agent. <laughs> I can just see, like, some argument of, like, this... This is fake. This is real. This is fake. Well, you're a disinformation agent, so meh. (laughs) Uh, In February 1990, Gerald Anderson did an interview with Kevin Randall and Stanton Friedman. In, In his first statement, he said he was five years old in 1947 and found a crashed spaceship with his dad, his uncle, and his cousin. Uh, All three of them were dead at the time of the interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also saw four aliens, two unmoving, one injured, and one unhurt. He touched the wreck and said it was just freezing cold to the touch. Then the military arrived and then started cleaning up the site. And that's why his dad and his cousin and everything were dead. Because <laughs> they shot him, but he was only five, so they were like, okay, you, you forget gotta, about it, kid. It's too young, you throw him back. It, it's a catch and release program. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in December 1990, he he said even more. Uh, He said that he had inherited his uncle's diary, which had even more details about the crash, getting an adult's perspective that he did not have at the age of five. Uh, Discrepancies in his depictions of events. There are some factual errors in the diary. uh, And the fact that that diary used an ink that wasn't invented until 1970. Oh, yeah, that... Might not help. Uh, Gerald Anderson's testimony is not considered uh, very valuable these days. Well, maybe the aliens gave his uncle some pens from the future. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's like Area 51 in um, in Independence Day, huh. where aliens had this awesome ink, but the government didn't release it to the public 
until 1970. Yeah. 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 There you go. Then we come to Jim Ragsdale in 1994. And Jim Ragsdale is my favorite. Yeah. Uh, he claimed to have seen the craft crash fall out of the sky in a signed affidavit. Uh-huh. Uh, the story goes that he was in the back of his truck with uh, his girlfriend, Trudy Truelove. Oh, goodness. That ain't her name. They they were lying, uh, drinking beer, buck naked, and, quote, having a good old time when all hell broke loose. Sure. Things broke loose. I love Jim Ragsdale. <laughs> Trudy Truelove? I love her, too. At 11.30 p.m., they saw an object fly overhead and crash nearby. They, they drove about a mile uh, from their campsite, I guess you could call it, and saw a ship embedded in a cliff. But their flashlight batteries were dying, so they, they drove back to their site and decided to come back in the morning, see what's what by the light of day. Mm -hmm. So that's what they did, and they got a hold of some debris with odd characteristics, like a foil that you could crumple up, but it would unravel itself flat. And they saw what looked like bodies. These people are obsessed with foil. <laughs> well, foil is one thing we know was there from the earliest reports. I mean, are, is it just the aliens are, like, obsessed with, like, barbecuing and baking mm -hmm. with foil or something? Like, If we show the aliens parchment paper, they will lose their minds. Wax paper. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> They'll give us all the future pens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, oh, you want to see a future crayon? This shit is crazy. Of course, they heard a commotion coming up the road, so they hid their truck in some trees. And then a military convoy approached, and uh, Mr. Ragsdale and Ms. Truelove... <laughs> uh-huh. Go on. Ms. Truelove... Uh-huh. <laughs> ...watched uh, this, this military cleanup crew just scrub the whole area. They should scrub their truck. <laughs> <laughs> so Ragsdale was never able to produce the wreckage he recovered, uh, claiming it was lost when, you know, his home burned down and his truck was ransacked in the intervening years. Somebody's out to get him. Mm -hmm. uh, in later versions, he claimed to have removed and buried golden helmets from the bodies. <laughs> and in at least one case, he offered to show an investigator where he hid the helmets for $5,000. In a second affidavit in 1995, he changed the location of the crash site by about 60 miles. Huh. That's a big difference. Both of these crash sites that he proposed in each affidavit are, are on ranches owned by different people, uh, both of whom believe his story to be a complete hoax. Hmm. So maybe he just, like, got in a fight with someone at a bar and was like, you know what, I'm going to f*** up your farm. <laughs> <laughs> Guess where the aliens are? This dude's farm. Go dig it up. Uh, one of the uh, disputes from a from a landowner was like, yeah, I know exactly uh, the spot he's talking about. You could never get a convoy of jeeps up that road. <laughs> that is horse-only terrain. <laughs> so that we're going to take a quick break and then come back with some more 90s uh, stories and the rest of the tale of Roswell. Where were we? Uh, aliens. Aliens? Mm -hmm. The twisted tale of Trudy True Love? <laughs> so uh, there, there is another high-profile witness, Frank Kaufman. Mm -hmm. He was a former head of the Roswell Chamber of Commerce and was introduced to UFO researchers by Lieutenant Hott, who wrote that initial uh, uh, press release way back when, as a source uh, Kaufman told them he was stationed on the base on a radar watch. Uh-huh. 
Uh, on July 4th, 1947, he witnessed an object on radar explode Ooh. and saw the blip go boom. Boom. Now, whenever he was challenged on a detail, he would provide documentation and then elaborate. And uh, this happened a lot to the point that by the end, his story uh, was that he was part of a council of nine in charge of the cover-up. And he had put the alien bodies on a plane to Washington himself. And he had the one ring and he was taking it yes. on an, a journey. Yeah? Yeah. To Isengard. Yeah. After he died, his documents were put under closer scrutiny and they were all found to be fraudulent. Oh. Including the, the documentation that he was actually in the military on the base. Oh. So as all these high-profile witnesses get debunked, Jesse Mercer's story comes back in vogue. We've still got this foundation of this reliable guy who was there who yes. saw some weird things. Yes. Until a Freedom of Information request showed that he had exaggerated his entire military service record. Oh. Uh, he told stories about flying a fighter craft in the war, shooting down uh, five enemy planes. He didn't know how to fly. He didn't know how to fly, but he never flew in the war. He never shot oh. down nobody. Ah. And this cast doubt on his relatively benign story of super strong metal with hieroglyphics on it. Mm -hmm. But there's also General Arthur E. Exxon. He, he was a lieutenant colonel back in 1947, stationed at Wright Field. Uh, he claimed to have flown over the area a few months later and observed two separate crash sites marked by gouges in the earth. Uh-huh. Uh, he was given command of Wright-Patterson AFB from 1964 to 66 and claimed further UFO operations were done there during his tenure. And he was an, aware of a, a small group at the Pentagon performing these cover-ups and, and dealing with UFO matters that he called the Unholy 13. <laughs> now, what he, a name. He never claimed any first-hand knowledge of Roswell itself. But the people he trusts told him in confidence that there were bodies and a craft recovered and covered up. Ooh. So let's get back to Walter Hott. Let's do that. Uh, matchmaker for, for Mr. Kaufman a minute ago. Again, he wrote the press release on orders saying that it was a flying disc. And he came forward with more claims of his own. Back in 79, when he was interviewed, he said uh, that he had asked to see the wreckage but was denied permission. Mm -hmm. But later in 1990, Hot founded the International UFO Museum and Research Center alongside Glenn Dennis, the guy who knew the nurse. I want to go to this museum. It is right in the center of Roswell. Of course it is. I want to go. There are like two state routes that cross in the middle. It yeah. is on that corner. I want to see like some string and a whole plaque about some string. <sighs> Uh, you will find a recreation of a, a big Aztec tablet that's the centerpiece of Chariots of the Gods, the book that uh, launched ancient astronaut theory. Oh, your favorite. My your favorite. favorite thing ever. So back to Hot, in 2000, uh, he made a statement uh, claiming to have seen a body and a wrecked craft in person and been at the meeting where the cover-up was planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were even more details part of this statement that were not released until his death, and some ufologists dispute he even wrote it. Well, we should have a seance and ask his ghost. Darling, ghosts aren't real. <laughs> Aliens, though. Alien, well... So, trying to resolve all these stories and others, th these are just like the headliners. There's so many others, like... Uh, the, the books that kept coming out in the 90s were boasting like 300, 500 interview subjects, right? And, and trying to, to congeal all these into a narrative led to competing theories, and the UFO community was split into camps over what really happened oh. and how to weight which evidence. Somebody counted and found as many as 11 crash sites. That's a lot. Uh, that, that are reported. And how do you resolve that? Yeah. But all, all these hundreds of, of pieces of testimony, and hardly any of them are firsthand accounts of people saying, I touched this, I saw that. Mm -hmm. I've basically named nearly all of them <laughs> just now. Yeah. So this takes us to the, the mid-90s, 
And in 1990... The X-Files is going. The X-Files is in full swing at this point. I love the X-Files. It's so good. The X-Files loves Roswell. But the government also decides to step in and like, okay, we need to do an official investigation. What really happened? What Let's air some stuff out and maybe clear some things up because this is getting to be something else. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is determined that the wreckage was from Project Mogul, a top secret method of spying on Soviet nuclear weapon tests. Always those Soviets. Uh, high altitude balloons, much like weather balloons, uh, were used to suspend a, a, basically a microphone and some other sensors at a constant altitude to listen for nuclear detonations. Uh, when it crashed, it looks a lot weirder than the usual weather testing equipment. But the basics, you know, a big balloon that collapsed because that's why it crashed. Yeah. And this shiny, foily radar target are basically there. That's why the weather balloon is a good cover story for this very top secret project. But there's also the weird extra stuff that's not uh, part of, you know, a weather balloon that is Project Mogul top secret. And so that's where the, the rancher was coming from when he's like, yeah, I saw wrecked weather balloons. This wasn't a weather balloon. Mm-hmm. He's right. It, it was. Yeah. It, it was this monitoring thing. Of course, this only came to light in the 90s after 50-ish years of not knowing what the stuff in the pictures was, but simply knowing that knowledgeable people said it wasn't what the military said it was. Yeah. In these official reports, all the stories were explained away as a lot of them hoaxes, Mm. and a lot of them hearsay, the unreliability of secondhand, thirdhand, or worse accounts. Memory is weird over the course of 50 years. Yeah. And and just the process of making mythology, the, the, the birth of legends. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't deter the true believers. Well, no. I, we already know it isn't what the military said it was in 1947. We're supposed to believe them now? It, it's not, this actually. It's this slightly different balloon? <laughs> Come on, who, who are you trying to fool? So a lot of numbers were crunched to prove a mogul balloon couldn't have landed in the right spot. One weird sensor array can't stand up next to hundreds of witness testimonies, can it? Come on. Uh, then, in 1995, the autopsy video came out. Oh, yeah. Alien Autopsy is a 17-minute long uh, film that is exactly what it says it is. Mm -hmm. It shows an autopsy of an alien. Uh, It was released by Ray Santilli, who claimed it was leaked to him by a retired military cameraman who insisted on anonymity. And Santilli always uh, maintained that it is a depiction of of a a body recovered at Roswell being autopsied at Roswell. Mm -hmm. So the Fox Network gets involved. Yeah, and they made some X-Files episodes about this. (laughs) But first, they made a TV special about this. Yes, they did. An hour-long special called Alien Autopsy Fact or Fiction. They aired it three times, and each one got higher ratings than the time before. I probably watched it, to be honest. I don't remember, but I probably watched it. I was weird. Mm-hmm. I was a weird kid. I was watching stuff I shouldn't be watching then. So, of course, in order to turn a 17-minute weird underground video into an hour-long TV special, you need to make a bunch more stuff. Uh-huh. So that's why director John Jobson was involved. Uh, he filmed Santelli's interview, and as soon as he met the guys, like, oh, oh, this is super fake. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was held back from making a statement by Fox, because people are only going to watch if there's a mystery. Yeah, if you say something. If anybody says, ah, it's a hoax, anybody with any sort of credibility, nobody's going to tune in. We just wasted a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, There were other experts interviewed for the special who said it was fake. Mm -hmm. Those parts of their interviews were not included in the broadcast. (laughs) Uh, For instance, Stan Winston. If anybody in the world knows how to make a fake alien look convincing on film, it is Stan Winston. Uh, Special effects designer for films like Alien, for one. Yeah. Predator, Jurassic Park, Stan Winston's the best, love him forever. In 2006, Santilli did say that the film is a reenactment of the actual event because the original film had degraded so badly 
by the time th- it was ready to be shown to the uh, world yeah yeah he he had to hire some people to to recreate it as to the best of their abilities but that there are surviving frames of that real actual Roswell footage spliced in Ooh. he never said which frames they are now, a few days after this uh, 06 statement, a comedy film about the story of Alien Autopsy was released mm-hmm. called Alien Autopsy. Yeah. Uh, it, it stars Ant and Deck, the, the British comedy duo. Santilli did have an executive producer credit on that film. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's something to just like get his rights, like a, like a stipulation to sign yeah. off on making him a main character of this movie, but... There you go. He had involvement in the, in this story. So looking at all this evidence, I think the the most likely, most concise, and the only story that bears any weight is the Project Mogul version of events. Mm-hmm. But how did all of this turn into everything else? <laughs> we all want to believe. <laughs> Skeptics and debunkers have have coined the Roswell Syndrome, a set of five distinct stages of development. There's the incident, the debunking, the submergence into this, like, subculture where it is mythologized, and then a reemergence, and then the media bandwagon effect. Mm -hmm. Uh, Plenty of other legends, uh, many UFO sightings among them, follow the same pattern. The, The Flatwoods monster bovine mutilation mm-hmm. even crop circles yeah like we, we've mentioned when uh roswell really blew up it was a time when the world was full of alien paranoia something i neglected to mention until now roswell was first featured on unsolved mysteries in september 1989 oh. shortly after the nurse story came out but just before all those other people came forward oh. The X-Files was right mm-hmm. around the corner uh-huh. uh, and took Roswell and the alien autopsy uh-huh. video as inspirations. There's a really good two-parter directly inspired by the uh-huh. alien autopsy video yeah. with Mulder riding on the back of moving trains, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. <laughs> there, there's Idea Channel video from a, a while back when the X-Files came back on TV talking about why... The end of the 80s, the beginning of the 90s were so primed for this, uh, making an argument that as the Cold War ended, where are we supposed to pin all of our paranoia? Mm. Where, where are the bad guys? The bad guys are in the skies. There's something weird going on, and, it, and it's our government, something and it's these weird, weird outsiders. Neighborhood. Who are you going to call? You can't call anybody because the government's in on it. Exactly. And, I mean, not to be a, a big cynic, but why would people with ties to the Chamber of Commerce and why would part owners in a tourist attraction want to attract attention to this story? Hmm. Over the course of the 90s, uh, the, the going rate to get a room in and around Roswell went up about four to five times. Ooh. Like, not four to five increases. I mean an increase of yeah. a multiple of four to yeah. five times. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I gotcha. So, what have you learned, dear? Well, I learned what the theme song is to Roswell. <laughs> I did look that up on our break. Yeah, Dido. Dido. Yep. <laughs> Who knew? The yeah. real Katherine Heigl diehard fans knew. And Colin Hanks. That's true. Yeah. It's really interesting how much of this is reflected in the X-Files. That's what <laughs> I have really gained from this. Yeah. Uh, how much a lot of the stuff has been used in popular media. That's true. Um, that's true. Yeah. Uh, One thing that struck me was how how wild some of these stories are, but how dull and pedestrian the initial incident is. Yeah. He found foil and and he sticks. He found garbage. He found garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's just what the government coached him to say. Yeah. Even though in those same statements are, are also when he said it clearly wasn't a weather balloon. Yeah. So that that's some real, like, uh, uh, reverse psychology government coaching. I don't know. Yeah. The knows? truth is out there. The, the truth is 1940s washi tape. 
So with that, we're going to take another quick break. Mm-hmm. And we'll be right back with letters and all sorts of fun. back to all my experiencers out there. Yeah. 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 And we're about to experience your letters. Woo! Mailbag time. Uh, first one we have here is from Claritic. And she guessed wrong. Every, a lot of people tried to guess what I was going to talk about based on the prompt. And y'all were wrong. I'm not talking about no TV shows. I'm not talking about no movies. Everyone thought you were going to talk about Doctor Who. Yeah. And they're wrong. That's later. It's later. Eventually. <laughs> but Claritic's favorite alien, uh, which was the prompt for this episode, are the Metroids, the, the titular energy-sucking blobs from the Metroid video game series. Like, really, all Metroid monsters come from uh, the specific uh, graphical limitations of making uh, a game as big and sprawling on the NES as it was. And so those weird visual signatures they all had have only gotten cooler as technology has caught up to, to mm-hmm. really fill them out. And so you got jellyfish with brains and, and weirdo fangs, and it's cool. It's like your thing of nightmares for you. Yeah, I don't like any of those things. <laughs> I hate brains. So thanks, Claritic. I think the thing you like most there is fangs. I'm into it. Yeah, okay. Final Gamer writes in to say how much I enjoyed hearing about Francis Glessner. Yeah. And he's changing his vote for favorite episode from Stitch because you already planted your flag in that one, dude. Yeah. Stitch is the best. To the great race of Yith from H.P. Lovecraft's story, The Shadow Out of Time. I always thought his great race was white people. (laughs) We are talking about hugely problematic Lovecraft here. But uh, rather than being some uh, hideous monster uh, from beyond that, that thinks of humanity as just a fly on the wall, the, the Yith are a group of scientists who uh, explore the world through, through time travel and body snatching. And so the horror comes from people who, who are hosting Yith just trapped inside their own brain as, as this alien creature puppets them mm-hmm. it's some nasty stuff so thanks final gamer yeah. uh jeff sent us an email with a few prompts uh favorite pirate gary the happy pirate which was is a children's entertainer from where jeff grew up uh favorite prophecy babe ruth predicting his home runs uh favorite historical house is a pub named Yold trip to jerusalem in nottingham uk it's built in in stone caves underneath Nottingham Castle. It'll keep your drinks cool, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that sounds pretty neat, actually. <laughs> uh, favorite alien, the mascot of Quisp? Quisp. Quisp. It's a breakfast cereal. Do we have that here? I don't know if they have it anywhere these days. Okay. Uh, and then Jeff also sent us a very cute video of Phineas sleep barking. Aw, sleepy Phineas. Sleepy Phineas. Thanks, Jeff. Peter writes in with a favorite alien that uh, might not be the first to come to mind. Cabe Isholiar uh, from Ian M. Banks's Look to Windward, uh, which is the sixth book from uh, Banks's The Culture series. Cabe is a studious, calm, receptive individual who tries to heal divides and give people a fair shake. Uh, a good person in a book with a bunch of sadness and grief. Peter also wants to thank us for pointing out the Russian Sherlock Holmes uh, adaptation. Had a few people thank yeah. us for turning them on to that. I guess they speak Russian? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and Peter's also really looking forward to the second season of Riverdale. Yeah. I hope they're also looking forward to the second season of Sex, Sex Archie. Archie. 
not, you should go listen to it, Peter. Yeah. Our most recent episode is a great jumping on point for anybody. It is our uh, uh, season one primer. We recap the entire first 13 episodes in only half an hour. Yeah. And we spend the other half hour talking about other topics, yeah. uh, uh, bridging season one and season two. I am excited. So thanks, Peter. Uh, Andrew sent us an email uh, with a suggestion based off of our, uh, well, your Carnation Revolution episode. It belongs to both of us. Uh, that we should do an episode on Henry Kissinger because Andrew <laughs> doesn't know a damn thing about him and we're way more engaging than Wikipedia. I really like not throwing furniture through the window. <laughs> So I don't know. It might take a while to get around to that one. But yeah, I'll, it's I'll put really it. really high up apartment, too. I'll like, put it on the pile, Andrew. That's dangerous. Thanks for writing. Rick got the closest to guessing what this episode was. Yeah. Quote, looking forward to whatever this is about, be it Doctor Who, Star Trek, or perhaps some alien conspiracy story. Yeah, I think he got it. I think they nailed it. That's too vague to count. That's it, like, it's all about like alien conspiracy, though. Yeah. Whole episode. But Rick's favorite aliens, at least from a visual perspective, are the, the creature designs in Attack the Block, starring John Boyega and the next Doctor. Uh, oh. Yeah. They're the, these bestial, toothy things. They're just like pitch black, except their mouths glow neon, and it's dope. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> also, clearing out some old prompts, favorite detective... Uh, Kayoko Koremi from Digimon Stories Cyber Sleuth. And a favorite prophecy, the prophecy of treasure that kicks off the events of Pablo Coelho's The Alchemist. Ooh. Ooh. And favorite pirate, the old crowd favorites, Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. Oh, yeah. So thanks, Those Rick. girls. Thank you very much. Verse sent us an email. They have been listening since Disney World. Our Disney World episodes and... Long before that to your stuff. Yeah, Rurst is a long-time fan of my previous projects. Yeah. It's fun to see a, a, that name pop up. So answering uh, a few prompts that they can remember. Uh, favorite alien, uh, Piccolo from Dragon Ball. <laughs> Big green. Uh, favorite pirate is Catalina Aranzo from Uncharted Waters 2, New Horizon. Uh, favorite detective is Naoto from Persona 4, and favorite historical house is the Hannah House, which used to be a haunted house every year, but stopped recently. Well, that's a shame. That is a I, shame. I hope it's still doing something to promote historical preservation in whatever area that is. I'm not sure I've heard of Hannah House. It would be really cool, actually. Like, I have no interest in haunted houses, like, ever. <laughs> but an idea of, like, a haunted house actually in a historical, like, house yeah. is cool. yeah. They should turn Harpo Studios into a haunted house. Oh, they could really get into the Eastland disaster thing and have <laughs> yeah, very yeah. Drip, drippy, very drippy ghosts, very drippy ghosts. That'd be awesome, actually. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe you think you're like suddenly going to sink. They could have like one of those yeah. floors that like drop from below you, and you think like the ship's sinking and suddenly. Use that Oprah money. Yeah. <laughs> oh. If you do this, cool. thank you to everyone for writing in. Uh, if you'd like to write into us, get have something read on the air where can those go those can go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com and we welcome your show, show suggestions your questions your stories and answers to our regular prompts mm -hmm. darlin what is the prompt for our next episode <sighs> well it's the most wonderful time of year as we know uh-huh it is the spookums times it is spookums time so we we are going to be continuing our our spookum time tradition of a spookum episode so what i would like uh it's kind of the same prompt as last year but tell us a spooky story from that you know from where you're from from something from where you visited mm -hmm. tell us something that fits with this time of year yeah and the ghosts and, and the ghosts ghosty ghosts and the goblins mm -hmm. Anything I mean, can happen on Halloween. I was a dog can turn into you, a cat. You beat me to it. <laughs> if you're Has anybody seen my tambourine? I don't know whose tambourine I have, but it's not mine. <laughs> what was I even going to say? I don't 
Maybe you should. They should tell a friend and leave us a we're rating and review. There yet. We're still it. Yeah. Okay. What? Well, I gave them the prompt. That's what's next. Well, after the prompt, we usually talk about social media. Oh well, you can like follow us on social media. It's all at History Honeys. Yep, that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, Twitter. Fa- all those things. You can follow us, including your your worst witch karaoke picks. I guess. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> And uh, another great thing we really would appreciate is leaving us a rating and review on, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, wherever you find us to help other folks find us. Uh-huh. Uh, everyone is a, is a magical little drop of sunshine. We got our first two-star review a little while ago. What? I know. It's the rarest number of stars. Did they actually say anything? Why don't they like us? I'm just happy. I want to collect the whole set. Are we working towards that? I hope not. I mean, that that would mean being intentionally awful and mediocre. I want to be great, but I kind of like the idea of having at least one of each, right? No. No? No. In any case, leave what your heart says you should leave. But you know, something (laughs) that we can't quantify, something that comes from a heart, is telling a friend. Yeah, you you can tell people. When you're looking for tambourines in the neighborhood because they've been stolen and you're having to borrow your friends. So uh-huh. go tell everyone. Pass on the word. Word of mouth really helps. Yeah, you're, Podcasts you're, do well and find tambourines. Your, your local constable as you file the missing tambourine report. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, your music store as you buy a new tambourine. Because, because you've, you've given up you've hope. You've given up hope. The kinkos, as you make, you know, your, flyers for lost tambourine. Answers to tambourine. <laughs> yeah. 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 But like we mentioned, talking about the letters, Sex Archie is back to weekly. Yeah. Uh, what, what? This episode comes out on Tuesday. Riverdale debuts tomorrow, Wednesday the 11th. And uh, if we don't talk too much... And I stay up a little late. I'm hoping to have our, our first episode up Wednesday as well of Sex Archie Season 2. You are very ambitious. I am. I set a goal, dang it. I will keep the dog busy. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you all again for joining us uh, on this wonderful adventure through time and space today. wee And with... <laughs> I'm Grant. And I'm Elena. And history's better with with your honey. honey.